What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group and the host of the What to Know podcast show. I'm recording here from uh, Austin, Texas, live from South by Southwest. And uh, today I have the pleasure of talking with Ty Shea, who is the CMO of Norton and LifeLock, which is, uh, they're both semantic brands. Um, Ty just got done doing his panel. It was focused on brand balancing brand building versus performance marketing. And I think the punchline was is that there isn't necessarily a balance because you have to sort of do all of those things. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So first of all, welcome, Ty. Thank you. Great event, Aaron. Well, thank you. Um, and I do want to get into how you got started. Now, first of all, you, uh, you're an investment banker turned classically trained brand marketer at P&G. And so that alone could probably take up an entire show. Why don't you give us a little background on that? And I know you gave that as part of your uh, preamble earlier today. Yeah. So uh, I do have a weird background for a marketer. Uh, I majored in accounting, passed my CPA uh, exam. Um, This is where an internship is a good thing. I did an internship at Pricewaterhouse in audit hated it. (laughs) So uh, then I took an investment banking job and uh, learned a lot. I figure it's like medicine, but once again, didn't really enjoy it. So uh, how I switched into marketing was I went to business school at Stanford, had a great marketing professor who inspired me. And so then was uh, off to Procter & Gamble and then the rest of the story from there. So you're a little bit of a kingmaker and I'm going to pick this up because I want to read these stats, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, all of this amazing background education has led you to um, basically growing and helping to either take public or sell uh, four different companies um, with over five billion in successful exits. Like most people are lucky if they do one, and I'm just going to name these, and I apologize if I get any wrong. But Insurance uh, to Redpoint, Trinity Ventures, um, and then sold to, they sold to Allstate for a billion. Hotwire. Uh, it was the Texas Pacific Group that sold to Expedia for $660 million. Square Trade, Bain Capital, sold to Allstate for $1.4. I'm sensing an Allstate uh, thread. And then LifeLock, um, so- selling it to Semantic most recently for $2.3. And I think most exciting is you stayed on, and that's not always the case as a principal at one of these firms, is to be able to not just helpfully successfully sell or exit, but you they liked you enough to say, we actually want you to stay on with this brand. So talk a little bit about how did you... You know, what's your secret sauce to the degree that you can share yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, Aaron, thank you. I, I, there's a lot of luck in life. And I think that uh, anyone who doesn't tell you that there's a lot of luck is, I think, lying. So uh, especially you're, you live in the valley, right? I do. Yeah. I mean, I think you, when you're in the valley, you see a lot of people who join the right company at the right time. And I think they have a little bit more maybe internal um uh, attribution of the success. I actually don't even pretend to have that. I think I've been pretty good at looking at opportunities where marketing was a key driver. And then I think I've been really good at, um, you know, finding products that just need a good marketer, a good story to tell. And so those are a couple of the things that I've looked at is, do I believe in the product? Um, do I like the people? And then when we get in there, as, as we're going to talk about, I do think you have to be accountable and really want to own the revenue number as a marketer. And so those things have come together um, a few times for me in a, in a lucky way. 
So I want to get to that second piece in a second, because you guys did touch on that on the panel, but you and I, in one of our prep sessions before we landed on the brand building versus performance marketing, talked about a different topic, which was sort of bringing the sexy back to security. And you touched on this is how do you take products and sort of bring them into the, you know, the, um, the public forum. And I think security is one of those where it's become very sexy for the nerds. It's been very sexy, you know, for a lot of the finance people, right? Cause it's made a lot of money, but what are you doing and what have you done to take something that traditionally most people are like, I know this is a necessary evil that I have to use and bringing it more into the public mindset and making it something that, you know, they care about, they enjoy and really sort of are embracing that brand like a, you know, an Apple or a, an Airbnb versus something that they don't want to touch. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing that's, I've been lucky is as I said, I actually really like um, businesses that are kind of unsexy or below the, I, I've worked in some sexy categories like travel for Hotwire. And then once again, I helped, I was in insurance for that. So I think that each product, as long as it's useful, as long as you tell the story in a correct way, you can actually make it uh, really uh, relevant and actually help people's lives. So when when coming into a brand, I think of, you know, is this a product that I'm going to be proud that I tell my mom that I market? And so why I joined LifeLock was my brother had had his identity stolen and LifeLock really saved his butt. And so um, it was a product he told me to join. So I was a member before I uh, became the uh, chief marketer. Um, so as far as the formula for how do you transform something that's like useful or maybe necessary into something that's really relevant and to your point, sexy. I think you just look at connecting the dots for how does it relate to consumers' lives. If you don't mind, I'll tell you a story about something we're doing right now at Norton that I think is pretty fun. Yeah, please do. So Norton is a brand that protects 50 million people globally. Uh, I think it's got 90% plus brand awareness. So it's really an iconic brand. It really hasn't been invested in uh, for a while. And so we're figuring out ways to retell that story. So something that actually fell onto our laps is uh, Disney approached us uh, recently. They have a new Han Solo movie coming out. So I don't know, are you, are you Star, are Star Wars? Star fan? Wars, not Star Trek, but Star Wars. So fan, Star yeah. Wars, so Han Solo is the origins story of, of Han Solo, which tells how Han and Chewie came together to basically protect the universe. So we were talking to Disney about this, and one thing we're gonna do is we're gonna partner with Disney on the new Han Solo movie, and we're gonna tell the story about how Norton and LifeLock are coming together to fight the evil that's in the universe. So those things that are universal truths, uh, which is, once again, Norton is, there's a higher order thing going on here, which is we're actually fighting evil and fighting the bad guys and we're the good guys. Figuring out a way to tell it in a relevant way to today's consumers, which I think Star Wars is very relevant. Those are, that's an example of how do you do something that's, you know, not necessarily thought of as uh, sexy and make it really uh, relevant and hopefully engaging to today's audience. Well, it's a great story. And as a Star Wars geek, I'm that much more excited about the fact that you did that. That's a good segue back into this uh, brand building versus performance marketing. And I think one of the things I'd love to touch on is, um, you mentioned it a minute ago, but Mark Stoos, who was one of the panelists, talked about you know how do you not get fired as a CMO? The tenure is getting shorter and shorter. And clearly, you've not only stayed for a while, but done so across two different entities most recently. Uh, one of the things I think Mark mentioned was to be a successful CMO, you really have to be a good business person that happens to know how to do marketing. 
you with your background as a classically trained marketer, as a, you know, financial guy, clearly you've done that, but talk a little bit about, you know, what are the things that you do to make sure that you've got the Star Wars piece, you've got the, you know, isn't this fun and great, nice brand building, but what are some of those less sexy things that you do to make sure that you are hitting and owning your revenue number, being a great partner to your chief revenue officer, your CEO, your CFO? I mean, I think the first thing is just accepting the accountability that having a marketing budget, particularly a sizable marketing budget brings, which and embracing the fact that the goal of that marketing budget is to drive customers revenue and profitability. So I think really embracing that as your your mission and your team's goal is super important. So for my teams, always the number one goal within the marketing department of every marketing department I've ever had is hit the plan. So that's got to be the first thing that you think about is, are you going to deliver your numbers? Um, so I think the attitude is honestly half of it. And then um, hiring people uh, that also will accept that accountability of spending the money wisely. So then it becomes a matter of then figuring out the, you know, the tools or the analytics tools for how you're going to measure and then tell the story within your organization about how you're helping the company hit its goals. So those are just a couple uh, things that I think are super critical if you're going to uh, be a marketer in today's world. So let me ask you a difficult question, um, and you could say, I, mean, I don't want to answer this if you don't want to, but you've committed to the Star Wars Disney track. You're having a tough year, making this up, you're not having a tough year, but you're having a tough year, and your CEO comes and says, sorry, Ty, we're going to have to cut back or cut altogether this Han Solo sponsorship. My guess is that's a tough thing to wiggle out of, right? Because you probably had to work for a year or years getting it. You find yourself in this type of a situation. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a good question. I mean, part of that is how do you develop your plans? So one of the tools that we use is we look at our budget in terms of tiers. Tier one is the proven performance drivers. Uh, and we want at least 80% of our money to be behind things we know exactly how it turns into revenue and customers. The next level up is maybe they're proven channels, like a channel would be radio uh, or TV, and we want to add different stations or do different creative tests. And then the, the, the tier three, which is the riskiest type of investment, are the true tests. And so to your point, the way that I've positioned the Star Wars partnership is it is in the riskiest the biggest test because honestly semantics never partnered with Disney before to launch a Star Wars movie so we don't actually know how it's going to perform so that in setting that test up it's almost when you construct the plan you almost know exactly how you would cut the plan if you have to and I do think to your point the uh, um, I fully accept that uh, marketing is a pretty big lever within our business we spend like 350 million dollars a year so I know that it's material and I know there most of my companies there have been time when I have had to chip in for the greater good and so for me um, to be a team player about that um, and to have thought about how you're going to do that in advance has helped with those discussions and made me to your point a good partner to the CFO and the CEO that's cool and, and you know that is always a difficult balance but that sounds like a good approach so I'm going to ask you a question that I don't really know the context. My team was kind enough to put this together. Usually I put all of these questions together. It should be an easy one. I just don't know where it's going to go, which is part of why I want to ask it. So they said that um, you're, you're a big sports enthusiast. 
And I do have an agenda for why I'm going to ask it because I think my sense of you is you're a competitor. And so I don't know why they put this in there, but I'm guessing somewhere in your bio or, or look, you know, reading an article, they found out that you're you know, a big-time sports enthusiast. So talk a little bit about what's your sport or who are your teams and how does that connect to your competitor as a, uh, as a marketer? Uh, definitely. So, uh, yeah, I grew up in the Midwest, so a huge sports fan, play a lot of sports, still play uh, basketball today. And I, I do think uh, that while I'm not vocally like competitor, uh, I am actually very internally <laughs> competitive, as, as you've sensed. So, um, look, I think that uh, to a certain extent, life's a game. And I think that there's, you know, a game, uh, the game of life is what I call it. And there are certain things that I think um, are, um, I want to accomplish. And for me, that's a very motivating thing to think about it, am I losing or winning the game of life, at least how I define it. And I don't define it by the most money or things like that. Actually, one of the things that's really important to me is, am I helping people? Am I making an impact on the world that I live in? You know, my family, there are a lot of things with that. So those are my metrics uh, for success as how I define my game of life. And I definitely use it um, to make decisions, whether it's career decisions, work life decisions, or, you know, to the point of I still play basketball three or four times a week if I can. The importance of just getting away from work and keeping some kind of balance. Well, I, I appreciate that uh, answer to the story. So I have to ask, I guess, are you a Bulls or Bucks or uh, T-Wolves fan or none of the above? So uh, I am a diehard Houston Rockets fan, which is weird growing up in Peoria and living in the Bay Area with the Golden State Warriors. Um, the way it happened is uh, when I was in seventh grade, um, I actually was able to buy something at a charity auction, and I bought a Nakeem Olajuwon autographed uh, game program. So I was like, oh, this, this looks interesting. So I just started following Akeem Olajuwon. This is back in like 1985. Everyone else was following Jordan. I was following this guy, Akeem Olajuwon, and so I just followed him, and even after he retired from the Rockets, uh, I'm still following him. So they're, uh, as you may know or may not know, first place, best record in the NBA. So I'm actually on pins and needles this season, hoping that we can uh, actually beat my hometown, war hometown Warriors. Yeah, so I have a similar conundrum, and I am a pretty big basketball fan. I'm a Celtics fan because I come from New England, although I've adopted the Warriors because they're in the West and other than two games a year where they play each other or ideally in the playoffs. Um, but I have been keeping a close eye on Houston. We beat them early on a crazy couple of plays with Harden fouling. Um, you guys beat us by two points. I think it was last week or two weeks ago. So it is fun to see that team come together with Chris Paul on it. And certainly they're otherworldly. And I think it's going to make the West that much more fun this year because it's not a slam dunk that the Warriors just make their way through. Ironically said, the Warriors would be my second team because it is always fun to root for the hometown team. It really wasn't relevant for the last several years because the Warriors weren't good and the Rockets weren't good. So ironically, I found myself in a situation where my two teams, to your point, are very competitive. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Good problems to have. I do think the Warriors are are, are the best team. So if the, if the Rockets beat them, it'd be quite an upset. Yeah, no, and I, and I agree with that. And I think that comes down to probably coaching. Steve Kerr has done an amazing job. They have a really deep bench. I'd argue that Houston probably has as good a, if not even better, starting five, but the, the bench of the uh, the Warriors is, is tough to beat. Um, transitioning a little bit to, that that was a fun topic, so I won't pretend that it wasn't, but this is where I do like to ask a few questions personally about you. 
Um, one of them could have been, you know, who was your sports team and who's your idol growing up. So Hakeem, that was cool. But what is one thing that maybe people don't know about you that you're willing to share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's the basketball thing is I've just been pretty obsessed with basketball my whole life to the point where I still play. I play, um, you're in the Bay Area, there's this, uh, the Olympic Club. They have a, uh, a really good organized leagues. We actually have scorekeepers and refs. And they PDF the stats out after each game. So I'm a captain in one of the leagues where we have a draft where people go up to the podium. It's like real life fantasy. And so the thing people won't know is, you know, I'm a captain in that league and we just won a championship. So I'm much more proud of that than I possibly could, should be as, uh, you know, that it's really meaningful and it's really kind of one of my passions. Well, it's cool. I'll have to come and check you guys out. I used to be very much into playing and then, you know, as a dad and old guy sort of get out of the habit, but it's, it is a passion for me. Uh, the second question is just, I like to inform our listeners and get smart people sharing their libraries. So, you know, any book or books that you've read over the last year that you'd like to share and, and give a little bit of context behind that? Yeah, I'm a big, uh, I like to read. Um, and a lot of it is actually, you know, there's so much good stuff on Twitter as well. But the couple of books that have stood out, there's a book called Multipliers. Have you heard this book? I've not, no. So it's a really good one on management, which is as a leader, you're either somebody who is helping your team grow and basically achieve more than they thought they were capable of, or you're not. You're stopping them and they're actually shrinking. So that they're by the term multiplier. So I found that very... It's, um, you know, as, as you go through life, you develop kind of these rules of thumbs about what kind of leader you're going to be, and what kind of manager. This actually crystallizes it into a framework of like, how can you be a leader where you can literally be, you know, when people look back at you, you're like one of the best bosses they've ever had. And where people, I think one of the most inspiring things is people look back and say, you know, wow, I don't know how we did so much in such a short period of time. So it's a, it's a book that I'd uh, highly recommend. Another one just for people um, is, and this is, this is a book, um, I think it's called Tell Me Where I'm Going to Die So I'll Never Go There, and it's uh, actually about Charlie Munger. So Charlie Munger, for people who don't know, is actually Warren Buffett's sidekick uh, at Berkshire Hathaway. I think Warren gets a lot of the credit. I think Charlie, as you really look at it, super smart, maybe the wind beneath Warren's uh, wings. So... Uh, for those of you interested, Google search Charlie Munger quotes and things like that. Super smart uh, framework about back to what I said about this game of life. What's the purpose? Of, you know, help you figure out what you want to accomplish in life, and actually provide you some some interesting, really, uh, I, I think, some wise um, ways to think about life and uh, to apply to be more successful. So those are a couple. Great, great choices, and I have not heard of either of them. And the second one, that's an interesting concept, this fatalism and avoid you know, where it is that you're going to go to die. Yes. Um, last question, which you, know, you seem like you did not have a problem when I asked you, but so many people say, oh, this is the toughest question, but it's the proverbial, you're on a deserted island, you can only have one album, which album would you pick and why? And I'm most interested in the thought process because I'm always amazed by you know, why people choose what and what their thought process is. Sure. So this is one that is not easy, but I'll just say my wife and my daughter, who's 12 years old, 
tell me that I'm stuck in the 80s. <laughs> so when we're there, they like to listen to the Spotify top hits, the latest things. If you look at my playlist, it's like music that I grew up with. So I'm kind of buried in the past. When I think back to kind of who shows up most on that playlist, um, it's actually the transitional one would be Coldplay. It's probably generic, but I feel like, um, you know, their music is, in addition to like, I think being pretty broad as far as the different kinds of um, music, I think there's some messages buried in there of positivity, positivity and optimism. That I, that I really like as well. but um, And I've actually convinced my 12-year-old daughter she actually likes Coldplay too. So that was quite an accomplishment. That's good. Have you ever had a chance to meet Chris Martin? I haven't been able to meet him. I think I've been able to see him in concert a few times. He's an amazing performer. So I'd say he's a real pro. Um, like I've gone to um, different uh, music festivals or award shows where he's one of many. And I always think he comes out of being the best, if not one of the best uh, performers there among great performers. So here's a hint. Start your own podcast show for Norton LifeLock and then invite people like Hakeem Olajuwon and Chris to come and be on your show and then you get to meet all the people that you want to meet. I've thought about that. You've met Tracy. We're going to have, have to have Tracy work on that one. Thank well, you. Happy to do anything I can. So um, this is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group and the host of the What to Know podcast. I've had the luxury of sitting down with Ty Shea, who's an athlete, a CMO, a dad, general good guy. So thank you for joining us, Ty. Thanks, Aaron. Really enjoyed it. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know.